Hey guys, it is Gina and Evely here again on another Saturday morning. We are excited today to talk to you guys about a really hot topic, it feels like, um, specifically protein, but we're going to hit on collagen and timing and supplementation and a lot of commonly asked questions we get when it comes to protein. And this is going to be fun because protein is a is something that Gina and I are both very passionate about and it's a hill that we both would die on. So um, we're excited to dive into it. Good morning, Jean. Morning, Ellie. All right. Okay. So let's go ahead and just dive in. So let's start out with um, just kind of defining protein and talking about what it is and then we'll break it down from there. That sounds so, good. Gina, I'll open it up to you. Yeah. So protein is one of our three main macronutrients. So we have proteins, carbs, and fats, and that's where your total calories come from. So those are the only three things that will give you calories within your diet and protein is one of them. So protein as a whole is a, is a really unique macronutrient because carbs and fat are used for energy sources and protein is the only macronutrient that can help with building muscle mass. So that is why we always encourage people to get their protein in because it helps you build your muscle mass. It's the only macronutrient that allows you to do that. And interesting enough, if you are doing very, very long endurance events, protein can actually be utilized as a fuel source. So protein is like a triple whammy. It covers all your bases. You don't want to use it as a fuel source. That kind of means you're getting into some dangerous territory, but it really is the the foundation of building muscle mass. And if you look at protein as a whole, it's building blocks are amino acids. So the amino acids are, there's 20 total amino acids. We have 11 of them, which are non-essential, meaning our body creates them. And then we have nine essential. And that means we have to take them in from our diet in order for our body to, to produce them. So we just want to ensure that within our diet, we are getting, you know, all of these amino acids when our body cannot make them. Yeah. And that's really important to hit on is the, the, the ones that you have to get through your diet. That's where it's going to become important to make sure that one, you have variety in your protein sources and that, you know, um, you're eating foods that have those essential amino acids. Like, um, I'll, I'll just tell you a list of them and see if you've ever heard, heard any of them before, but <clears throat> we have histidine, isoleucine, leucine, lysine, uh, methionine, phenylalanine, theranine, tryptophan, and valine. So, um, I think it's just fun to kind of throw those out there because, you know, I specifically, we'll get into this later, but specifically when it comes to building muscle, you want to, uh, make sure that you're getting leucine in your diet. There's a lot of, um, research that's showing that leucine is the most important amino acid that we have to get through our diet when it comes to muscle protein synthesis. So, um, we're trying, we're not going to get too into the weeds here, but that's just important to know is that if you're a vegetarian, for example, or a vegan, and you're not eating, you know, any red meat or meat that would have leucine in it, um, then, you know, that might be a consideration that you would need to supplement with, right. If you, if you're wanting to put muscle on. So, um, knowledge is power in that realm. So, um, it becomes very individualized based on, you know, what your dietary preferences are and what your goals are, but, um, it's important to, to know that. So, um, all right. So we're going to kind of 
dive into different types of protein. Um, I do want to, Gina, I want to talk specifically about whey protein, vegan protein, and then collagen, because those are kind of the big three that I find a lot of my clients ask about and that they've heard about out there on the market. So <clears throat> let's just start with the most, um, that most like people are, are familiar with, which is, um, whey protein. Um, so that's what you're going to find at like, you know, a GNC usually, or like a, um, on Amazon, the gold standard brand, the one that's really popular. So, um, let's just talk about whey real quick. Um, and then we'll dive into the other two. Yeah. And I want to loop back really quick and hit on the muscle protein synthesis. Yes. Um, so just so people kind of understand a little bit more framework surrounding that. Yeah. Our muscles are constantly in a state of being broken down and then resynthesized and broken down and resynthesized because when you exercise, that's what breaks your muscles down. And if you're not properly getting in enough protein, that's how you repair them and resynthesize them to grow. Mm -hmm. So Yes, you need exercise. You need that stimulus in order to break your muscles down, but then you need the protein. And like you said, especially leucine to help you resynthesize the muscle that you've broken down. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's really, really important to make sure that you are getting in enough as a whole total protein. Um, so we can rebuild and repair those muscles. Yeah. And I think that's something that hit me like a ton of bricks when I actually realized that working out is just doing the damage that we need, right? Yes. You want that, you want that damage, but if you don't get the recovery, you don't get the benefits, right? It, it's so self-explanatory when you say it out loud, but I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, they're, they're like, I'm working out super hard in the gym, but then they're not getting what they need to rebuild that muscle. You're, you're not going to, you're leaving a lot on the table. So yes, that was eye opening for me in terms of like prioritizing protein intake and right. just, you need in general. You Yep. So, um, okay. Thank you for prefacing with that. So let's go back to whey protein. Um, you know, what specifically is it? And then I'll, I'll give my own, you know, two cents on it, but, um, we'll kind of hit start there. Yeah. I think whey protein is probably the most common. I don't have numbers on this. This is just from personal experience. The most common supplemented protein, yeah. um, that's market. It's, it's the least expensive, I would say, compared to like a pea protein or a plant protein source, just because it's more common than those. Mm -hmm. um, but if you have any type of dairy intolerance, this would be a protein that would be difficult. I know Ellie, you have avoided this for that reason. Yeah. Um, because that's what that is essentially what it stems from. And along with um, pacing also, they're both dairy based proteins. And so this whey protein is going to be really great for you know, essentially stimulating your muscle protein synthesis because it is rich in all of these amino acids that we have to ingest. And so if you are someone who can easily tolerate dairy and that doesn't necessarily make your, sometimes it causes digestion issues. If you're not someone that suffers from that, whey protein is a really great quality source of protein, especially to take in after your workouts. If you are, you know, not going to be home for a certain amount of time or you really can't eat for a good bit of time after your workout, having some type of whey protein powder will be really beneficial for getting in that protein. The total protein, yes, but also quickly after your workout, because we do know that's important to make sure you're replenishing as quickly after your workout as possible. Yeah, great, great point. And that's that's why, you know, we would tell a client not to consume casein right after their workout, because mm -hmm. that's going to be very slow digesting, which is great if you take it before bed and you want 
a slower absorption time. Um, but right after you work out, like you said, Gina, you want something that's fat, quick digested that your body can, can utilize quickly. Um, so whey would be the best option there if you can have it. So if you don't have a dairy intolerance, um, or issues with dairy at all, um, I would, I would tell someone to opt for whey as your first line daily supplement specifically after a workout. Right. And then I'll speak to the vegan just because I have to take it. Um, I am not a vegan, but I have to take a plant-based source of protein powder. And I've done a lot of uh, research on this just specifically because I I have a goal of building muscle. And so I want to make sure I'm optimizing um, protein intake when I can't have the first line, which is whey, you know, um, in quotes, first line. So um, when I'm looking for a vegan protein powder for someone who wants to build or sustain muscle, I'm looking specifically for leucine, in the amino acid breakdown. <clears throat> but then the ones I like to recommend to people from a plant-based source are a pea protein. So P-E-A um, coming from just what it sounds like, peas. So um, you're going to find a lot of different types of vegan protein out there. You'll you'll see like egg white blends. Um, they have mm-hmm. soy. They have um, like a watermelon seed, literally like that's a protein. Um, if you can think of any others, you can throw them out there, but there's a lot of different types of vegans, vegan protein powders. And so I look for a pea blend because that has been shown to have one of the more robust amino acid profiles from, from plants. So mm-hmm. um, that that's, that's specifically what I look for. And then, um, you know, for me specifically, they do sell leucine powders. So sometimes I'll just add that in um, to, to make ensure that I'm getting enough leucine, but for general, what- oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask if people are like, oh, cool. I want to try pea protein. What is a company that you would recommend just from personal experience? I feel like anytime I've had a pea protein, it kind of tastes like I'm licking dirt off the ground. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. Yes. Um, So I, I joke with a lot of my clients that I've tried almost every vegan protein on the market because of how bad all of them yeah. are. But funny enough, I am not being a salesperson here at all. I would buy their products if I wasn't affiliated with it, with them, but I am partnered with a company called edge fitness performance, and they have a vegan protein chocolate peanut butter that tastes just like whey. Like it is so good. And I've given it to a lot of clients. as like a sample. They're like, man, this is amazing. And they buy it. So, um, edge fitness performance, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, but I also do have a discount code. So if you want to try it out and get 10% off, you can, but they are amazing and it's a pea blend. So, um, you're hitting, you're getting a complete protein source and it tastes amazing. So, um, and it, Oh, go ahead. They have a whey protein too. edge. Yeah, they do have a whey. Um, they have multiple whey flavors. Um, but I I've heard they're amazing as well, but the thing too, that, um, I like is that it's, it's sweetened with stevia. And so, um, I prefer that over different sweeteners. So, um, but yeah, I'll link that in the show notes and they're amazing. So, um, okay. We hit on vegan and, um, I do just want to touch on, uh, casein before we dive into collagen. Cause we have a lot to say on, on collagen, but, um, casein protein is something that is also from cow's milk, like Gina said. Um, so a lot of times people will, uh, consume that at nighttime before bed because it's slow digesting. But one thing to keep in mind with that is just sometimes people can wake up with some digestive distress if they, you know, do a lot of protein right before bed. Um, so I would just one, be mindful of that. Um, but then the second thing is that I've had a lot of clients who just 
swear by casein and say it's like the best thing that's ever happened to them. But I like to just kindly remind them that we don't eat, we don't know if it's the casein or just the fact that they hit their total protein intake for the day. So when it comes to just the topic of protein in general, if there were a hierarchy of importance, the, the biggest thing would be hitting your total amount for the day, right? Like that's what everyone should come back to is, am I just getting enough in general? And then mm-hmm. from there, we can break it down into the timing and the type of protein and all of that. But the biggest thing that most people are going to get all the benefit from is the total amount, right? Um so, you know, people are going to swear by different timing protocols and different types of protein, but the biggest thing is how much you get in. Agreed. And casein is one of those that if you've never had it before, it's definitely a different texture than whey protein. It thickens up. So you'll see a lot of people do a casein pudding or something similar to that. Um, I think it, it can be, again, like you said, if any of these help you hit your total protein goal, I'm going to say awesome, do it. Now, this is me personally. I love to actually consume food by chewing. And so I yes. don't supplement with any protein powders. And and that is just because I am I work out at home. So I can walk into my kitchen when I'm done yep. and have thing very quickly. I can eat right when I'm done. And that's not hard for me. So I don't want to say you have to buy a protein powder, spend your money on it. But I also don't want to say they're worthless because if it's helping you get to your protein, like you said, your total goal, I think it's beneficial. If you're someone who doesn't have a problem hitting your protein goal, you don't need to buy it. Right. And that's honestly optimal. If if you are someone who can consume all of your protein through actual food, you're going to get the thermogenic benefits from digesting that food, right? That not to get too complicated, but they're... There is a lot, uh, there's a decent, not a decent, it's like 10% of your total intake, but um, we burn calories from digesting food and protein, a fibrous chicken breast takes a lot more energy, thermogenesis, heat for my body to break down and handle and convert to um, think something that my body can digest and absorb. That takes a lot more energy than drinking a protein shake. And so when we have to chew our food and then our body has to do a lot of work to absorb it, you're actually getting essentially increasing the amount of calories that you burn in the day, which is beneficial if you're trying to, you know, be healthy and potentially lose weight. So, um, you know, one of the first things I would look at if a client is telling me like on the calories that I set for them, like, Hey, I'm hungry. I'm going to look at how much protein they're consuming from shakes, Mm -hmm. right. And powders. And I'm going to take, out one of those, or even if it's just one, I'm going to take it out and say, okay, let's replace this with chicken or let's replace this with an actual food that you have to chew. It's going to keep you fuller for longer and you're going to get more benefit from it. So I went on a tangent there, but I think that's important. No, I think that's important too. Okay. Um, and then collagen, (laughs) um, this is like such a hot topic and topic. Yes. Yeah. I just, I don't really know if it's because the marketing has been strategically towards um, you know, women and, you know, middle-aged women when it comes to like improving your skin and nails and all of that. I, I genuinely don't know why there's so much hype around it. Um, <laughs> but it's exactly what you said. I think that's it. It's, it's targeting something that's cosmetic. So I think it's enticing for people to 
build muscle and get strong, but it's very appealing for women who are starting to see changes in their appearance to hear of a supplement that mm-hmm. they can really add in that is going to improve their wrinkles and make their skin look healthy and grow their, like, sure, if I was that age and I was, you know, starting <laughs> to see changes, that was that easy to just add a scoop of collagen to my coffee. Right. I, would try. I think that's exactly, that's exactly it. It's, it's targeted for mostly, I would say, cosmetic. Yes. Yes. And a cosmetic, yes. It's like they took the marketing that Botox did and put it in a food and said, and, and, and made it like incredibly appealing. And, and honestly, I would argue that, you know, the fact that it, it necessarily isn't targeted toward muscle building is actually what probably got the niche market that it did in middle-aged women. Cause a lot of women think the minute they start consuming protein, they're going to turn into Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, you know, it's like, no, that's not. So it might've made it even more attractive. The fact that it's not specifically targeted towards muscle protein synthesis to, to the market that they're looking for. So anyway, all that to say, it's, it's a really hot, hot topic. And Gina and I will go ahead and preface with the fact that like, we like collagen, you know, I take it sometimes I don't take it all the time, but um, we're not anti-collagen, but I think it's important to understand like what it is. So um, one thing I'll, I'll mm-hmm. just, start with collagen is not a complete protein. So when we say complete protein for purposes today, I'm really just saying, does it have the essential amino acids that we need to get through our diet? Right. Does it have all of them? And collagen only has some of them. Right. So, um, and it's specifically relatively poor in the amino acid leucine, which is specifically the trigger protein for muscle protein synthesis. So, Um, if you are someone who wants to optimize skeletal muscle mass to increase your metabolism, because we know bodies with more muscle burn more calories because it's more metabolically expensive, then collagen would not be the supplement of choice, right? You could combine it with a whey or a vegan protein if you just really want to take collagen. But I would tell you, okay, if you're only taking that, then you need to to buy a different protein source as well and combine it or just substitute it with a whey or a vegan. Yes. And I think it's, it's important to note that collagen is the most abundant in our body. It's 25 to 35% of our makeup because it's found in so many things like cartilage and bone and skin and ligaments. It's, it's a connective tissue essentially in our body. Mm -hmm. And so like you mentioned, it's very low in essential amino acids. And that's where the questionable, is this necessary kind of comes in um, because it's mostly non-essential amino acids, but in the same sense, that makes sense, right? Because if it's coming, if, if that is the most abundant protein in our body, it would make sense that we were designed in a way that our body can produce the essential amino acids without having to take them in. So, I mean, by design, that makes total sense. So, like you said, if you're trying to optimize muscle protein synthesis, collagen is not going to be the supplement to help you do that. Yeah. Um, now, we can kind of dive down some of the studies that have shown it could help with osteoarthritis and joint pain and range of motion. Um, because there have been some studies that have shown that collagen can help with that. Um a couple things there that I wanted to know that are are pretty important is that when the studies have shown positive effects of collagen, 
the placebo group, which is the comparison group, they were not given any type of a protein source. They were actually given maltodextrin, which is just essentially sugar. So when you look at the benefits that the collagen group saw, that could have been because increased their protein as a whole, like we talked about. We don't know if it was specific to collagen. So something that would be really cool to see, and I didn't notice any studies that did this, was take a collagen group and then like a whey protein group or a collagen and a pea protein group. So we're now comparing two different protein sources right. rather than collagen and none, because now we don't know if the effect was from the collagen or from the increase in protein as a whole. Right. And something that you have to account for is the fact that in these studies, in one specifically that I was looking at where you had the maltodextrin in the um, collagen group is that regardless, this group is still doing 12 weeks of progressive overload resistance training. Right. We know how beneficial that is in general. And we don't know how, what their, what their training history was. If they were like really under-trained individuals, then of course they're going to have a benefit from 12 weeks of training really regardless. Um, Right. If they're eating calories, you know, so that's important. But then the other thing to account for too is, is since collagen, we do know specifically helps with like ligaments and tendons and those connecting tissue, connective tissues, like you talked about, that plays a big part in muscle strength as well, right? Like tendon and ligament resiliency is really important. So we might interpret that as, oh, okay, now they're getting stronger, but maybe it's just their tendon and and joint resiliency. So that's just something that's important to consider, right? We don't, it's kind of still inconclusive. Like you said, like those Mm -hmm. studies that you show collagen has a benefit. Um, We, we need a comparison of a different protein source to really know if it's the collagen or just the increase in total daily protein intake. So, yeah. And another, I don't want to say I've beef with these studies, but another common, um, a common thing that was seen in a lot of these studies, the, so a meta-analysis essentially looks at a bunch of studies and puts it into one paper and actually go in and look at all of these individual studies a lot of them use what's called a, propri- a proprietary blend. Yes. And it's not collagen in an isolated form. It's collagen mixed with other vitamins and minerals. So again, sometimes when we see an effect, is it from the collagen or is it from something else? And we don't know. So more, I would just say as a whole, more research needs to be done on this. But I think what we do know, just to circle back, for muscle protein synthesis, not the supplement to take mm. for other areas of cosmetics. So skin health, joint health, whatever it may be, potentially there's some benefits. And I like EC Sinkowski, she calls it worth a shot. Now, yeah. if you have you have osteoarthritis and you have really bad joint pain, I'm sure you're going to try whatever you need to, to have relief from that. So if taking collagen is an easy way to see if it helps with your joint pain. Sure. I would definitely try it. But if I feel like a lot of our audience is probably looking more for the gaining muscle. So if that's you, I would say probably find a different protein supplementation source. Right. Correct. So let's kind of go off of that and, and talk about just, we, we, we've hit a lot at hitting your total goal for the day. Right. So if that's, mm-hmm. that's the t- tip of the spear, top of the hierarchy, then, um, what, how do we know? Right. And this is where we're all, we're, we're always going to say it's so individualized because it is right. So we're not going to give any specifics here because everyone's different based on your goals and body composition and all that. But 
Um, I do want to point out that if you were to just Google how much protein should I have for the day, um, you're probably going to come across the dietary guidelines for Americans, right? And that's where a lot of people are going to think like, oh, this is a reputable source, right? Um, per the 2020 to 2025 pamphlet that they put out, um, the recommended daily amount is basically, okay, how much do you need to, to not have muscle wasting, right? Or not get sick from lack of protein, right? So it's the absolute minimum that they suggest. And they're going to say that that's around 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. So that comes out to be for an 130 pound female, 47 grams of protein per day. And for a 200 pound male, 73 grams per day. Now, let me just give you perspective here. Some, some of my meals in the day have like 47 grams of protein. (laughs) So again, specific, but to my goals, but 47 grams is not a lot for the whole day, right? Like that's so that's nothing, especially if you take it in light of how much calories someone's consuming. Right. And then that's where the, uh, um, AMDR comes in, which is the acceptable macro distribution range. Basically what percentage of my total intake should come from protein and the dietary guidelines for that say around 10% to 35% of your total daily calories should come from protein. One, that is an enormous range, 10% to 35%. So how do you know? And then the second thing is you have to be tracking your protein to even know that. So I think um, it's important just to preface that those are, in my opinion, not great to go off of. (laughs) Um, So I would just be careful um, looking at the RDA and AMDR. And Gina, I'll let you give some input before we provide direction on where to go from there. But yeah, and and just like you said, it I do not like giving blanket recommendations without knowing a person. So yeah, I can say is that probably a lot of people are actually consuming the recommended amount, but that's not the optimal amount, right? If you are trying to optimize your health and fitness, the recommended amount is really just to sustain life and not be sick in, you know, suffer a lack of protein Mm -hmm. to be optimal. I would say we're probably on the same page at a bare minimum, it would be 0.7 grams per pound of body weight. So taking your weight and multiplying it by 0.7, that would be kind of a minimum range I would want to start at. But again, if I don't know the person, sometimes we have to start lower and increase from there. Sometimes we can start higher. It really just depends on the person. So I think that's where like having a coach to help you make some of these decisions and how to increase and when to increase. And, you know, all of those things can be overwhelming, especially when protein is just one aspect of, of what we talk about with our clients. Right. Right. And it is important to note that, you know, I think a lot of, there's this misconception out there that, you know, elderly people or elderly people, older elderly or older people need to maybe monitor their protein intake and be careful. If you have a pre-existing kidney issue, then absolutely. Yeah. Always talk to your doctor. But um, we know that sarcopenia, which is muscle wasting, essentially the breakdown of muscle and loss of muscle that increases with each year that we age. Right. So like, even if you're in your thirties, like each year that you get older, it's becoming harder and harder to build muscle mass. Mm -hmm. So I would even argue that the older you are, the more vital protein even becomes. Um, But then at the same time, you know, when you're young, you want to build a really good bank for yourself to pull from, right? The more muscle you have, you know, the higher your threshold is once it starts 
decreasing. So I just think it's really important not to think that you maybe you've passed the point of of being able to kind of optimize, you know, this this strategy. Like if you're 60 or 70 years old, like look at your protein intake and really be aware of it and you'll notice benefits from that. Um you're not too old to start, you know. I just think that's important. Like I have my grandmother, you know, she she's like all into this now and she'll text me about um her protein intake for the day and um she'll she'll supplement after her workouts with a protein powder just because she knows how little she would get if she didn't do that. And so um she's noticing benefits and I just think it's really important to point that out. Yeah. And so some practical tips on how to maybe increase your protein intake if you don't know where to start. The first one for me was I was before I was diving into the nutrition world, I was eating a lot of meals that did not even have a protein source. I remember in high school, just having like fruit for lunch or trail mix or, you know, something like that. And wondering why I, my performance was suffering. I was a runner and I remember I had chin splints and was super anemic and just everything that could go wrong went wrong because I was not eating protein. Truly. I could not build muscle um, I was just scrawny. Um, so anyway, the first thing I started doing was every time I ate, I had to have a protein source. So if you are someone who currently has meals in your day with no protein source, start by prioritizing protein at every meal and building your meal around your protein. And so that would be one of the most beneficial tips. If you're just starting off, if you already do that, but you're kind of on the lower end, Something that's really simple is just to increase your portions. I know it sounds just silly, but if yeah. you're eating, two, can you just increase to three? Because you're not having to add in an entire snack or even really make a ton more. You're just consuming a little bit more at every meal. So if you added one ounce at every meal, I mean, that's going to be around 25 grams of protein by the end of the day, which is huge. Right, right. And in the last few minutes that we have, I I want to segue off of what you said about increasing your um, portion at meals. Um, a, a lot of times people will just ask me like, Hey, that's not, you know, that beneficial, right? Cause you can only absorb 30 to 40 grams at a time. I think one <laughs> that that's getting <laughs> way into the weeds, right? I, I am of the belief that, um, okay, let me backtrack one. Our body doesn't just digest a meal like immediately. Right. Um, I I've heard it said before equated it to, um, you know, our, our, when we eat a meal, it's like our stomach and our digestive system works in the same way, like pour over coffee or a slow drip coffee would, it, it's going to slowly digest and release that food so that your body can absorb it. Right. And, and handle it. Um, you know, a chicken breast, we don't eat it and it doesn't just pop up on our bicep. Right. So when we say, Oh, I can only absorb 30 to 40 grams at a time. I would push against that, push back against that. Um, and then, you know, not to get too into the weeds, but it's, I'm of the belief it's always better to eat above to ensure you're getting enough rather than low ball it and come in short. So, um, yeah, you can get all uh, legalistic about how you break it up across the day, but one, how sustainable is that? I, a lot of times I need to just get 50 grams at a meal because I know it's going to be harder, you know, throughout the rest of the day to get more in. So I think, don't let that become a deterrent. Um, really just try to optimize um, what you can for the day. Get as much as you can at each meal because your body's going to stop you at a certain point. You're not going to consume like 70 to 80 grams at one meal often, right? And if if, if your body isn't going to use it all, it'll excrete it, right? So just don't let that. I, I just think that's important to point out. Like that's kind of a misconception out there. Yeah. And 
And something that has been helpful for my clients is setting a minimum. So a lot of times we go for a maximum and that's true with a lot of things like steps and workouts and all these things. Like I want to get to here, but in reality, that's an awesome goal to aim for. But I like to start off with a minimum. Like this is bare minimum that you need to get per day. Yeah. And like thinking about your days as a whole, like we have a tendency to look at individual meals when it's really the day and honestly the week. Yeah. So you break it down into these super small and we get hyper obsessed with, oh, well, shoot, I didn't have a, you know, whatever at this meal or I ate too much protein. Our bodies don't just eat a meal and know exactly that it happened at right. 30 a.m. And then, no, like we are, our bodies cannot distinguish that. So just encouragement that if you have one meal, that's a little bit higher in protein or a meal that maybe you don't have protein. It's okay. If the next one, you have to just get right back on your body cannot distinguish the specific times of the day. So again, looking at your days as a whole and aiming for a minimum and even looking at your week too. I like setting weekly goals because I know on a day-to-day basis, there's going to be days where you're traveling, you're at work meetings, you're, you know, and, and so it's not always ideal conditions, but, we can optimize your health even in those not ideal circumstances when we use your week to frame how you're doing. I think that's a really encouraging note to end on is that, you know, you can have one day where, yeah, you're, you're definitely at the minimum. You haven't optimized it maybe because you're traveling or you're in an airport and it's just harder. Right. Um, but that doesn't ruin anything, right? If you look at it over the course of the week, you have so many opportunities to, um, still, you know, make up for that and it not become detrimental, right? You can manage it really well. So um, I think that's an encouraging note to end on. And so um, we hope this helped you guys. Um, Like I said, I'll link to the protein powder that I recommend and that I love to use in in the show notes. Um, And then, um, yeah, hopefully this helped you all. If you have any questions about it or anything specific that came up, feel free to DM us on Instagram, which will um, also be linked in the show notes. So thank you for your time, Gina. Of course, Ellie, have a good day. (laughs) Bye. Is that recording?